Part Four of The Ultimate Weapon by John Campbell, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Four There was a glint of humor in Buck Kendall's eyes as he passed the sheet over to McLaurin. Commander McLaurin looked down the columns with twinkling eyes. Petition to establish the Lunar Mining Bank, he read. What a bank! Officers, President General James Logan, late of the I.P., Vice President Colonel Warren Garrardy, also late of the I.P., staff consisting of ninety percent ex-I.P. men and a few scattered accountants, designed by the well-known designer of I.P. stations, Colonel Richard Murray. Commander McLaurin looked up at Kendall with a broad grin. And you actually got interplanetary life to give you a mortgage on the structure? Why not? It'll cut costs fifty-eight millions, with its twelve-foot tungsten beryllium walls and the heavy defense weapons against those terrible pirates. You know we must defend our property. With the thing you're setting up out there on Lunar, you could more readily wipe out the IP than anything else I know of. Any new defense ideas? Plenty. Did you get any further appropriations from the IP Appropriations Board? McLaurin looked sour. No. The dear taxpayers might object, and those thick-headed clogged rockets on the board can't see your data on the stranger. They gave me just ten millions, and that only because you demonstrated you could shoot every living thing out of the latest IP cruiser with that neutron gun of yours. By the way, they may kick when I don't install more than a few of those. Let em. You can stall for a few months. You'll need that money more for other purposes. You've installed that paraffin lining? Yes, I got a report on that of finished last week. How have you made out? Buck Kendall's face fell. Not so hot. Devin's been the biggest help. He did most of the work on that neutron gun, really. After, McLaurin interrupted, you told him how. But we're pretty well stuck now, it seems. You'll be off duty tomorrow evening. Can't you drop around to the lab? We're going to try out a new system for releasing atomic energy. Isn't that a pretty faint hope? We've been trying to get it for three centuries now and haven't yet. What chance had it within a year or so? Which is the time you allow yourself before the stranger returns? It is. I'll admit that. But there's another factor not to be forgotten. The data we got from correlating those misreadings from the various IP posts means a lot. We are working on an entirely different trail now. You come on out, and you can see our new apparatus. They are working on tremendous voltages and hoping to smash the thing by a brutal bombardment of terrific voltage. We're trying, thanks to the results of those instruments, to get results with small, terrifically intense fields. How do you know that's their general system? They left traces on the record of the post instruments. Those records show such intensities as we never got. They have atomic energy, necessarily, and they must have had material energy, actual destruction of matter, but apparently from the field readings it's the former. To be able to make those tremendous hops, light years in length, they needed a real store of energy. They have accumulators, of course, but I don't think they could store enough power by the system they used to do it. Well, how's your trick bank out on Luna, despite its twelve-foot walls, going to stand on atomic explosion? More protective devices to come is our only hope. 
I'm working on three trails. Atomic energy, some type of magnetic shield that will stop any moving material particle, and their faster-than-light thing. Also, that fortress, I mean, of course, bank, is going to have a lot of lead-lined rooms. I wish I could use the remaining money the board gave me to lead-line a lot of those IP ships, said McLaurin wistfully. Can't you make a gamma-ray bomb of some sort? Not without their atomic energy release. With it, of course, it's easy to flood a region with rays. It'll be a million times worse than radium C, which is bad enough. Well, I'll send through this petition for armaments. They'll pass it all right, I think. They may get some kicks from old Jacob Ezra Stubbs. Jacob Ezra doesn't believe in anything warlike. I wish they'd find some way to keep him off the arms petition board. He might just as well stay home and let him vote his ticket uniformly nay. Buck Kendall left with a laugh. Buck Kendall had his troubles, though. When he reached Earth again, he found that his properties totaled $103 million, roughly. One doesn't sell properties of that magnitude. One borrows against them. But to all intents and purposes, Buck Kendall owned two half-completed ship holes in the Baldwin spaceship yards, a great deal of massive metalwork on its way to Luna, and contracts for some very extensive work on a bank. Beyond that, about eleven million was left. A large portion of the money had been invested in a laboratory, the like of which the world had never seen. It was devoted exclusively to physics, and principally the physics of destruction. Dr. Paul Devon was the director, Cole was in charge of the technical work, and Buck Kendall was free to do all the work he thought needed doing. Returned to his laboratory, he looked sourly at the bench on which seven mechanisms were working. The ninth successive experiment on the release of atomic energy had failed. The tenth was in process of construction. A heavy, pure tungsten dome, three feet in diameter, three inches thick, was being lowered over a clear insulum dome, a foot smaller. Inside, the real apparatus was arranged around the little pool of mercury. From it, two massive tungsten copper alloy conductors led through the insulum housing and outside. These, so Kendall had hoped, would surge with the power of broken atoms, but he was beginning to believe rather bitterly they would never do so. Buck went on to his offices and the main calculator room. There were ten calculator tables there, two of them in operation now. Hello, Devin. Getting on? No, said Devin bitterly. I'm getting off. Look at these results. He brought over a sheaf of graphs with explanatory tables attached. Rapidly Buck ran through them with him. Most of them are graphs of functions of light considered as a wave in these experiments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not very encouraging. Looks like you've got the field, but it just snaps shut on itself and won't work. The lack of volume makes it break down. If you establish it, and makes it impossible to establish in the first place without the energy of matter. Not so hot. That's certainly cockeyed somewhere. I'm not. The math may be. Well, Kendall grinned, it amounts to the same thing. The point is, light doesn't. Let's run over that theory again. Light is not only magnetic, but electric. Somehow it transforms electric fields cyclically into magnetic fields and back again. Now what we want to do 
is to transform an electric into a magnetic field and have it stay there. That's the first step. The second step is to have the lines of magnetic force you develop lie down like a sheath around the ship instead of standing out like the hairs on an angry cat the way they want to. That means turning them ninety degrees, and turning an electric into a magnetic field means turning the space strain ninety degrees. Light evidently forms a magnetic field whose lines of force reach along its direction of motion. So that's your starting point. Yes, and that, growled Devon, seems to be the finishing point. Quite definitely and clearly, the graph looped down to zero. In other words, the field closed in on itself and destroyed itself. Light doesn't vanish. I'll make you all the lights you want. I simply mean that there must be something that will stop it. Certainly. Transform it back to electric field before it gets a chance to close in, then repeat the process the way light does. That wouldn't make such a good magnetic shield. Every time the field started pulsing out through the walls of the ship, it would generate heat. We want a permanent field that will stay on the job out there. I wonder if you couldn't make a conductor device that would open the field out, some special type of oscillating field that would keep it open. Hmm, that's an angle I might try. Any suggestions? Kendall had suggestions, and rapidly he outlined a development that appeared from some of the earlier mathematics on light and might be what they wanted. Kendall, however, had problems of his own to work on. The question of atomic energy he was leaving alone, till the present experiment either succeeded or, as he rather suspected, failed as had its predecessors. His present problem was to develop more fully some interesting lines of research he had run across in investigating, mathematically, the trick of turning electric to magnetic fields and then turning them back again. It might be that along this line he would find the answer to the speed greater than that of light. At any rate, he was interested. He worked the rest of that day and most of the next on that line, till he ran it into the ground with a pair of equations that ended with the expression dx dv equals h divided by 4 pi m. Then Kendall looked at them for a long moment, then he sighed gently and threw them into a file cabinet. Heisenberg's uncertainty. He'd reduced a thing to a form that simply told him it was beyond the limits of certainty, and he ran it into the normal, natural uncertainty inevitable in nature. Anyway, he had real work to do now. The machine was about ready for his attention. The mechanisms had finished putting it in shape for demonstration and trial. He himself would have to test it over the rest of the afternoon and arrange for power and so forth. By evening, when Commander McLaurin called around with some of the other investors in Kendall's bank on Luna, the thing was already started warming up. The fields were being fed and the various scientists of the group were watching with interest. Power was flowing in already at a rate of nearly 100,000 horsepower per minute, thanks to a special line given them by New York Power, a Kendall property. At ten o'clock they were beginning to expect the reaction to start. By this time the fields weren't gaining in intensity very rapidly. A maximum intensity had been reached that should, they felt, break the atoms soon. At eleven-thirty, through the little view window, Buck Kendall saw something that made him cry out in amazement. The mercury metal in the receiver, behind its layers of screening, 
was beginning to glow with a dull reddish light, and little solifications were appearing in it. Eagerly the men looked as the solifications spread slowly, like crystals growing in an evaporating solution. Twelve o'clock came and went, and one o'clock, and two o'clock. Still the slow crystallization went on. Buck Kendall was casting furtive glances at the kilowatt-hour meter. It stood at a figure that represented twenty-seven thousand dollars' worth of power. Long since the power rate had been increased to the maximum available, as the power plant's normal load reduced as the morning hours came. Surely this time something would start. But Buck had two worries. If all the enormous amount of energy they had poured in there decided to release itself at once. At any rate, Buck saw they'd never dare to let a generator stop once it started. The men were a tense group around the machine at 3.15 a.m. There remained only a tiny dancing globule of silvery mercury skittering around on the sharp needle-like crystals of the dull red metal that had resulted. Slowly that skittering drop was shrinking. 3.22 and a half a.m. saw the last fraction of it vanish. Tensely the men stared into the machine, backing off slowly, watching the meters on the board. At nearly eighty thousand volts the power had been fed into it. The power continued to flow, and a glowing halo of intense violet light appeared suddenly on those red needle-like crystals, a swiftly expanding halo. Without a sound, without the slightest disturbance, the halo vanished, and softly, gently, the needle-like crystals relapsed, melted away, and a dull pool of metallic mercury rested in the receiver. At eighty thousand volts power was flowing in, and it didn't even sparkle. End of Part 4